I'm just uh, sorting out a final technical difficulty here. It has um, been one of those mornings where everything technologically that could go wrong has gone wrong for me. Uh, apparently, this uh, somebody does not want this sermon preached. I said to my wife, not today, Satan. And I only, I'm only partially kidding. Because um, what we need to talk about today is somewhat a controversial topic in our culture. Now, um, we just heard from uh, the Gospel of John chapter 17, and what is happening in the Gospel of John chapter 17 is that um, this is what we call the high priestly prayer, and it is that Jesus is praying for his disciples um, before he goes to his death, and um, he is asking the Father to do certain things, and he is speaking certain things over them and about them, and one of the things that he says is, They have been hated. The world has hated them because the world first hated me. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't received a whole lot of hate from the world for being a Christian. Um, But there will come a point, I would would say, that if we stand firm on Christian uh, convictions and on what Scripture teaches, there will at least be some derision from the world. I can actually remember the first time on Facebook that I was called a piece of something or other for challenging the idea that Christianity was anti-intellectual. So there are things about our faith and about the beliefs that we hold that will come head-to-head with certain cultural assumptions and perceptions and will cause people to dislike us and dislike what we believe. I think that um, something that is said in 1 John chapter 5 today is one of those things, and it's only one iteration of uh, this um, this kind of a statement. But I want to look at the ch- uh, passage in 1 John chapter 5 and then um, look at a couple of other passages to try and flesh out what is being said here. Um, you can follow along if you want to. I think it's the reading right under the psalm in your bulletin. And um, John is going on about the testimony of God being greater than human testimony. And historically what is happening is that there were some teachers who had come along into the community. And John, as the pastor of the community, was concerned with his flock. And these were what John would call false teachers. Because they were saying something along the lines of um, the divine part of Jesus kind of split in part ways and left the human Jesus to die on the cross. And John is saying... That's a destructive belief because if the divine son of God did not die for our sins because he's the only one who can pay for them and reconcile us to God, then we are lost. You see, so John takes this issue very seriously and he says this, those who believe in the son of God have the testimony, that is the testimony of what God has done in history in Jesus Christ in their hearts, in their hearts. You see, in the ancient world, the heart was a way of saying um, that the center of your will, your emotions, your mind, your soul, the heart was the center of the person. And John says, those who believe in the Son of God have that testimony at the core of their being, and it affects who they are because they are so convicted by its truth that Jesus uh, is a historical person who came and died as the divine son of God for the sins of the world so that, the, so that they could be forgiven and that God's creatures could be reconciled with him. Now, he says this, strong statement, those who do not believe in God have made him a liar by not believing in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. Here's what he's saying. False beliefs 
can result in the impossibility of receiving eternal life. Because if you deny what God has objectively done in history, if you say, that did not happen, I do not accept that, John says, you are calling God a liar. Strong words, not minced. And he goes on and he says this. And this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Right? The word um, eternal here is uh, the Greek word eionion, where we get our word eon. So what it is, is he is saying that in Jesus, we are taken into a new eon of life. That is eternal life. That is the forgiven life, salvation life, new creation life. And it is found in Jesus. In him is true life. And then John goes on and says this. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. That is a controversial statement in Western democratic culture. Because there are certain cultural assumptions in our world that would say nobody, nobody should say that there's only one way to God. Because that has implications for people who are trying to get to God in another way. Fair enough, it does. And to talk about a controversial topic like this, we won't be able to answer all of the questions that it raises in one sermon. Because we'll be here too long and you'll miss football games and Mother's Day celebrations and things like that. So I'm not going to get into the question of what about people of other religions? What happens if they're genuinely seeking God? I think that's a discussion we could have, but not we won't have time for it today. But there are some very important points that I think that we should make about the Bible's very strong claims that those who do not have the Son of God do not have life. I think that the best uh, place where we can look to see this fleshed out a little bit more is some words from Jesus himself. Now, everybody knows John 3.16. You know John 3.16? You hold it up at football games, everybody knows it, right? What does it say? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Right? Beautiful. Amazing. It's the gospel, right? It's all there. But um, what a lot of people don't know is what verses follow. They wouldn't be as popular to hold up at a football game. This is what Jesus goes on to say. Let me just read you a couple more verses. He says this. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, through, that the world might be saved through him. He's saying Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. Now, here's the thing. Listen to what he says next. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only son of God. Okay, Jesus's words. Now, it's, it, it's important that we ask, what does this mean? Um, those who do not believe stand condemned already. Here's what he's saying. Um, all of humanity, by their nature, have been infected with sin and rebellion in their hearts. And we are rebels against God, right? C.S. Lewis says, we are rebels who need to lay down our arms. That is the situation that we are in. And he is saying, everyone is a rebel. And thus, standing under condemnation in the old order that is affected, infected by sin. Um, but... 
God loved the world in this way, that he sent his son to make a way out of that realm of condemnation. It is a transfer, as St. Paul calls it, from the realm of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so when you put your faith in the son who died for your sins, you are transferred out of the old age of condemnation into a new age of forgiveness and reconciliation and peace with God in joy. And so Jesus isn't saying, look, uh, I'm going to condemn you all, so good luck convincing me that I should do otherwise. No, he says, I've laid down my life so that all who believe, all who believe, which is God's desire for all people to believe, would be removed out from under his righteous and just condemnation of sinfulness and into the realm of forgiveness and light and peace with Jesus Christ. You see, but it raises questions. Well, is Jesus being intolerant? Is he being closed-minded? What about other people who are good people? And the scripture's claims are this. No one, when measured up to God, is good. You can be good by your own standards, but no one measuring up to God is good. Only Jesus is good. And only Jesus can confer his status of good, righteous, perfect on you. When you trust in him and what he did. Now, you probably have heard somebody at some point in your life say something along the lines of, I seem to have lost my sermon in my Bible somewhere. There it is. Um, You've probably heard somebody at some point in your life um, say something like, um, no one religion can have the truth. No one religion can have the truth. Everyone can choose the right path for themselves and will end up in the same place. If you haven't heard that, you will hear that. It is a prevalent belief in our culture. But here's the thing. How can you make such a bold claim that no religion can have the truth? The uh, well-known author Tim Keller writes this. How could you possibly know that no religion can see the whole truth unless you yourself have the superior comprehensive knowledge of spiritual reality that you just claim none of the religions have? Do you see there's a contradiction in saying something like that? There's a contradiction when you say there's no absolute truth. No one has a handle on the absolute truth. Because what you just said is that the statement there is no absolute truth cannot be absolutely true. You see, it's a condition. You you cut the branch off that you're standing on when you say something like that. You see, but it's a very, very common line of logic in our culture to deny that anyone could actually know the absolute truth. But you see, truth is objective. It's how reality works. We all believe certain things to be objectively true. Now, there's another big claim that uh, is made, and that is this, and you've probably heard something like this, that people who um, think that their religion is the right one or believe that they have the absolute truth, they are the cause of the violence and the unrest in the world. They are the cause of all the divisions and the nastiness in the world. You've heard something like this, uh, very popular um, very popular deceased now, a new atheist, Christopher Hitchens, was a big voice for this line of thinking at a book, uh, I think, called Religion, How Religion Poisons Everything, God is Not Good, or something like that. Um, very, very prevalent line of thinking. Um, and I want to say that it's true that much violence has been done in the name of religion, Christianity not excluded. All right? Crusades, people, uh, modern-day uh, violence included. But here's the thing. What does Christianity teach, right? Jesus says, many people will call me Lord, Lord, and won't do the things that I say. 
You can say I'm a Christian, but when you go out and inflict violence on other people because you think that's the way to hold the truth, you are not his follower. You see, Christianity actually teaches, what it actually teaches, if you follow it, you won't be violent, no matter how convicted you are that you have the truth that God has revealed himself in Jesus. Because Jesus says, love your enemies. Your enemies. Love those who disagree with you. Someone posted a funny meme on Facebook the other day. Somebody says back to Jesus, oh, what about Muslims? And Jesus says, uh, well, let me say that again, or did I stutter, or something like that, right? You cannot hold your convictions with a hostility towards other people who do not believe what you believe if you follow the teachings of Jesus. You see, Jesus, from the cross, allowed the affliction of his persecutors to fall on him, did not fight back with violence. What did he do? He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You see, if you're a Christian and you say, I believe that this is absolutely true and that there is no life, no eternal life outside of Jesus Christ. You can't say, I'm so glad I, uh, I, I achieved my religious status and that I am not like those other people, those Hindus and those Jews and those atheists and those. You cannot say that. The only thing that you can say is, I cannot believe that God would love me so much that he would come and die for me to rescue me from condemnation and bring me into the realm of salvation and eternal life. You can only have a stance of humility because Christianity puts everybody in the same position. It gives everybody the same status. Sinner saved by God's grace. Now, of course, the question arises, what about those people who are seeking God genuinely but have not heard about Jesus or don't know about Jesus? You know what the answer is to that? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, right? But God does tell us that all people, the scriptures tell us that all people are in need of redemption from their sin and their brokenness and that only Christ can provide that. Now, um, to the um, claim that Christianity is uh, exclusive or, or, or not inclusive, I want to challenge that for a minute. I want to put a little bit of a different definition on the word of inclusive. But I want to um, read something to you actually from the book of Revelation. Some people would say uh, Christianity is a sort of white colonialist religion that's been imposed on people of other cultures and it's intolerant and uh, is not very inclusive. And I want to read to you um, what the vision of uh, a heavenly vision is in Scripture of what God's people look like. John uh, writes this. He's having these visions, uh, and he's been in conversation with Jesus. And then he says this um, in chapter 7, After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And it's this glorious scene of people of every color, of every language, of every, uh, of every nationality, of every tongue, worshiping the Lamb who died for their sins. God is inclusive. And God's desire is that all people should come to know 
his son, Jesus Christ, and be gathered around his throne in worship together in eternal joy. St. Paul tells us God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, here's the thing. If you can get to the place where you say, I I, I believe that Christianity is true. I believe it is the way. There's two things um, that you have to have to effectively share Jesus with other people. There's two things that you have to have. One is a strong conviction about the truth. That God's word, although sometimes it comes head to head with what the culture says, is true. And the other conviction that you have to have is that you have to have a life that is full of humility, love, and compassion. Because if you have one without the other, you will not be an effective witness for Christ. If you are heavy on truth and, slow and little on compassion, you will look like the people out there who are holding signs telling everybody that they're going to hell and that's their first impression of the Lord Jesus Christ who loves them and cares for them. But if you go too heavy on love and humility and compassion, but you compromise on the truth, you will never challenge anybody to question their own beliefs and to consider coming to Jesus Christ for salvation. You see, you have to have both of those, both of those things, or you cannot be an effective witness for the gospel. It is historically falsely attributed to St. Francis that he said, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Historically, he never said that. And there's a problem with it because the scriptures through and through say that we are to bear the good news upon our lips, that Jesus is Lord and that in him is salvation. Now, back to John chapter 17. Jesus is uh, praying for his disciples. Um, And remember, he said, they will be hated because I was hated. But then he, he says this. I am not asking you to take them out of the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world. Why would he say that? Because Jesus wants his people to be for the world. Jesus wants his people to not be of the world, but he wants his people to be for the world. We of all people should be creative. We should be live lives of service, of contributing to our community's health to loving all people regardless of race, religion, sex, nationality. We of all people should be for the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world because they have work to do. And then he says this. Sanctify them, that is, set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. Now he says this. As you have sent me into the world... So I have sent them into the world. You see, he says, you will be hated for the message on your lips by some people. But you are to be for this world and for people. And you are sent, actively sent in to the world to bear that message with conviction and with compassion. I want to close with uh, just the words at the very end of um, the John's letter, the first John reading that we started in. 
And he says this to the community. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may be confident that you walk presently in the eternal life that is found in Jesus alone. Brothers and sisters, if we believe that that is the gift God has given to us, we cannot keep it to ourselves. Let us pray.